When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You said that people have perceptions of you. What do they say? The guy never smiles. The guy is ruthless. And what's the truth? The truth is that there is some truth on it. <laughs> Nothing can replace a feeling of playing football at this level. The team is the engine of the club. We've got an amazing squad here. Oh, leave it out. <laughs> it's only the second time that I get a job in mid-season. Never seen so much coverage. Twitter, Instagram. What happened to us this season is impossible. Another injury is the last thing Spurs need right now. How do we do that? Tottenham are out. We are on shutdown. Coronavirus has led to the cancellation of all football. Well, the team are good guys. But good guys, they never win. Play aggressive. How is the rat? Play, please! Hello and welcome to a very special edition of The Last Word on Spurs. Now, you've seen over recent weeks, we've been recording many, I would say, one-off shows, special shows coming your way, and this is yet another one of those. Now, on The Last Word on Spurs, on a week-to-week basis, finances, the ball, Daniel Levy, transfers, player recruitment, that comes up, as you guys know, more often than not. And we don't always have the opportunity to take the time out really to talk about the board, talk about finances and where Spurs are right now because of the impact also of COVID-19. So we've gone and got ourselves a chat. That's hopefully going to provide us some insight into the finances of Tottenham. But before I announce who we've got, delighted to have alongside me my right-hand man in Lee McQueen. Join us. Lee, how are you? 
Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Fresh from uh, from uh, loads of pods for, and this is the second one this week. And I'm thoroughly looking forward to getting involved and getting uh, Kieran's expertise on uh, the world of football finance. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We, uh, Lee's kind of giving it away there. We've got the wonderful Kieran Maguire joining us from the Price of Football podcast. Kieran, how are you? Firstly, I'm grand. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, Spurs is from from my point of view is a fascinating club. Yep. It's funny you use the word fascinating. There'll be a lot more terminology to describe this club, Kieran, amongst fans in terms of finances. So please be ready for some of the feedback we're going to get from this show. Because, again, it's one of those things where Tottenham and the board, you can't please everybody. You know, I think at the moment, definitively where we are with Enix stewardship, we're 20 years in, and there's definitely a split down the line in terms of whether you are for the board, against the board. And that's obviously because of a number of factors over the last, as we say, 10, 15, 20 years where people have kind of formed a judgment and for some they will not, like I say, come away from that. So it'll be very interesting to get your thoughts. And Kieran, I think there's only really one place to start, really, because Spurs, we are now London's richest club after we've enjoyed a major revenue growth due to the run in the Champions League final and then that move into that state-of-the-art new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. We sit eighth in Deloitte's Football Money League. How do you view, Kieran, Spurs' financial position at the moment where we find ourselves in. I did a valuation exercise of all the, the Premier League clubs in May and uh, that, that valued Spurs um, and, and I appreciate you don't get too many trophies as the, as the number one in terms of financial value um, of clubs in the Premier League. So uh, looking at it in, in the cold heart light of day, they, they run uh, a really smart organisation um, from a financial perspective, but you don't go to watch Spurs to to see balance sheet achievements, uh, and Lee doesn't do it as well. Um, so, if if I was if, if I was assessing them, I, I think they they they've turned things round over the course of the decade. Uh, you know, the Spurs were just about breaking even at the at the start of the decade, and a lot of that was due to uh, profits on player sales. And they've they've gone on and made substantial advances since then from a financial point of view to to be probably the the, the most consistently profitable club in the Premier League. Lee, coming around to you, it's one of those things, isn't it? When anybody sees that football money league and Spurs sitting eighth in there, they think eighth richest club in the world. Why aren't we spending the money? Why aren't we going out there and bringing the likes in? or trying to attract a Lionel Messi, a Cristiano Ronaldo, these big, renowned stars. Do we have to understand, Lee, and sometimes take into account just what goes in to making up that money football league? When you're doing the research and you really start looking into the the, the finances of football, it is it is amazing to to hear Kieran say that you know we're we're one of the richest, if not the richest, and you know turning it around. You you look at the the comparisons between the likes of Manchester City with all of the um, you know, the Middle Eastern uh, influences and revenue and money that's come in. Chelsea with Roman Abramovich that have come in. And, you know, you, you expect us to be competing against that in, in, in terms of, you know, uh, trophies on the pitch. And, and we just haven't done that. You know, si- since football club started in 1882, we've actually won 19 trophies, if you include the two second division titles that we've won. So, so on average, over 138-year history, on average, we're winning a trophy every seven years. 
under under the leadership of of uh, Enoch, as you talked about, and, and ultimately Daniel Levy, we've won a, a trophy every every ten years. So you know, trophies are massively important. We all want to see that. We all want to see success on the pitch. But ultimately, we also want to create memories, and we want to have um, playing moments and memories that 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 will we'll be able to pass down and talk to you know our, our sons or our daughters or you know our family about. You know, that's that for me is what football's all about. And you know, yes, we want to win trophies, but ultimately we also want to have a football club that is sustainable and it is there and 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 I, and I just I'm not defending not signing players at the at this that and the other but I'm sure we'll get into that but I think that when you when you can safely say and you hear Kieran saying it himself that we are a very very well run football club I think that's that's huge we've got a club that's going to be sustainable for the next 5 10 15 years and I think that's massively important well I, I would say I, th- I think Spurs are a very very well run business now, the, the, the issue, I think, for many fans is that you've got sporting success and, and then you've got business success. And some clubs, and you, you mentioned, Lee, Chelsea and Manchester City, they're both owned by sugar daddies. Now, what, what does a sugar daddy do? A sugar daddy sort of indulges themselves uh, in terms of their, their toy. Um, Spurs are not a toy to Enoch or Daniel Levy, in my opinion. Uh, it, it is seen as a business. Um, yeah, if, if I sort of contrast Spurs with another club where the ownership is not particularly popular, when when Mike Ashley acquired Newcastle, Spurs and Newcastle were, were roughly the same financially. And now Spurs are streets ahead. Now that's on the back of regular appearances in the Champions League. Clearly, they would have had a, a very successful financial year this year had uh, had the pandemic not arisen and they would have had the benefits of a full year of uh, activity in the new stadium um but it, it's it's very difficult if not impossible for a club with the background of spurs because yeah you know, I'm, I'm speaking here as a neutral um you're not manchester united you're not liverpool you, you don't have that global fan base i mean spurs have got a big international fan base but I don't think it's as big, and I don't think you'd probably claim it to be as big. I suppose it's more of a local club than uh, Liverpool or Manchester United. So, therefore, your overseas income is somewhat uh, littered. Um, and to a certain extent, you're, you're, you're caught caught between the two, that you don't want the sugar daddy. You don't have the global reach of those other clubs. So, what would you say is is a reasonable expectation if you are a Spurs fan? Again, it's a brilliant, brilliant point. I mean, just looking at some of the, you know, you mentioned there kind of that, that overseas revenue and the the commerciality, if you like, of of, of clubs worldwide. And, you know, the, the two massive clubs in England um, are, of course, the two that you've mentioned, just the United and Liverpool. And when you look at our uh, commercial revenue over the last 10 years is actually quadrupled. When you when you think it was j- just over thirty five million in two thousand and nine ten, and now we're hitting the heights of about one hundred and fifty one million. Now now you know people might say yes, but that's balance sheet again, Lee. And yes, that's you know we're not interested in that. We want to go and watch the football. But in order to get them players in, as the point that you made earlier, Rick, in order to f- sign the Ronaldos and to sign the Messis and to pay their wages, we need to have revenues coming in from different streams. And that's why I'm talking about having a sustainable business as as, as that football club first and foremost. Almost when when you look at the Liverpools and Manchester United, I haven't got their data on their on their commercial aspect, but you, you can bet your bottom dollar that they have got 
you know, four times, five times more the commercial value than what Tottenham have. And they definitely had six, seven, eight times more than that 10 years ago. So when you look at what Anink's done or what Daniel Levy has done for the club over the last kind of 10 years, we are, we are moving in the right direction off the field in order to be able to make better decisions and better players and bigger wages on the field. Now, if they if the club decide not to do that and they just want to take their money out and forget the football, that's where I think the fans, including myself, I think that's 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 wrong. But ultimately, we can't spend what we haven't got, and I don't think Tottenham have ever done that. And that's why I think that they're a really well-run club. I got to agree with Lee for me, Kieran. I think Spurs were a well-run club, but I think at times in the stewardship of Enoch, we've had those opportunities to really go and push on on the football field. And because we haven't done that, I think fans, for them, they've become very frustrated and agitated because they're seeing Arsenal still win FA Cups with some of their worst footballing teams. We're now in a situation where it is harder to win trophies because you've now got, as you said, the likes of City, the likes of Chelsea. Even United have got money pumped into them. Liverpool, you know, the way they've done their recruitment has been very smart. But we're now in a real difficult battle to just try and win a trophy. It was hard 10 years ago, but even now you look at this thing, it's, it's even harder. And this man has already come up during the show. Daniel Levy, Kieran, he's one of the most powerful men in English football, as well as one of the most private. He has run Spurs with forensic control for almost 20 years now. And he's transformed them from one of the mid-table pack into an example of how a self-sufficient club should work. But as I've said, among Spurs fans, Levy is not universally popular. We have only won just the one League Cup during his tenure, although we did come close to greatness under Maurizio Pochettino, finishing up as Premier League runners-up in 2017 and reaching a Champions League final in 2019. Maurizio Pochettino was sacked last year and stickers saying Enoch out, profit over glory. That's not becoming an uncommon sight to be seen around the club's newly built stadium. What's your personal view for you, Kieran, in terms of Enoch's stewardship of the club and the way it has been run financially? I would describe it as cautious. I agree with you. I think there have been times when Spurs could have pushed on, um, but you could have ended up like Newcastle. Uh, you know, and, and Newcastle under under Keegan did go for broke and they nearly ended up broke. And, and I think that perhaps uh, Enoch and Daniel Levy have seen clubs of that nature and we have seen it elsewhere where, where perhaps clubs got a little bit too close to the sun. Uh, and... With Spurs, remember, until the last two years, two or three years, Spurs have been playing uh, at a stadium with a 35,000 capacity. And you're trying to win trophies against Manchester United, who've got 75, against Chelsea, who have got a sugar daddy, against Manchester City, who have got a sugar daddy. And, you know, one of the reasons why Arsenal was successful was because they, they, they did move stadium and they started to generate more income. So I, I think Spurs do have a long-term strategy, or rather Enoch and Daniel Levy, they, they do have a long-term strategy to try to improve the club um, on the field, but that has meant continual sacrifices um, sort of in going on for quite a few years. And, and I can understand it from a fan's perspective because uh, my, my next-door neighbour's a big Spurs fan, and he says, you know, we're expected to pay top dollar uh, at Spurs to, to, to especially to, to, to watch matches in the new stadium and we're not watching top dollar it's it's almost there 
um you know it, it's a bit a bit like playing waitrose prices at tesco's and you feel yeah. slightly <laughs> spot on irritated by that it's, it's that's a very true fact Kieran. i think that's one of the really things is. where fans again it's that that's become a frustration where the product you're paying for is it's outweighing what you have to what you actually have to put down originally i mean lee how do you feel i know for you listen spurs fan through and through and listen, I know you, you do whatever it takes to go and watch this side. You were there in that Champions League final. If I was to ask you to try and give your own personal opinion on Enoch, because it's one of those things that on the show, because of just how quickly games come to and fro, we don't get the chance to really talk yeah. about the board in detail and really no. give an opinion of where we are. How do you feel, Lee, like I say, we're reaching the second decade of them being in control of the football club? How would you sum up for you their time running us? Kieran, I think he was spot on when he said about kind of Daniel Levy's approach is, is, is cautious. I mean, you know, you, you could you could fly the flag for Daniel Levy now and say, well, you know, his cautious um, approach has been good because we just had 200, uh, 200 million or whatever drop off, uh, you know, the potential revenue because of the pandemic. So actually, if we'd have gone out in, in, in last summer and, you know, spent another 200 million on, on players, we'd be, uh, we'd be in a, a bit of strife now. Um, but you could also flip that around and say well hang on a minute you know if we'd have gone out and spent more money then we'd have probably qualified for the Champions League this year so it is swings of roundabouts I mean I've done a bit of research you know again you know Kieran made a really good point about kind of the match day revenues and you know you look at Manchester United about 75,000 there 76,000 in a week in week out for far longer than Tottenham the Sugar Daddies we've already mentioned you've got even look at Newcastle you mentioned Newcastle is a brilliant example they get 52,000 there every other week uh, you know, hard, uh, diehard Geordies. And, you know, you look at a Leeds who have just come back into promotion. Um, you know, look at the journey they've been on. I mean, you know, God forbid, you know, we wouldn't want to go on that journey, would we? So I know people will be listening to this thinking, yeah, that would never happen to Tottenham. But how many Leeds fans said that at the time? You know, when we had swashbuckling Leeds side, they got into Champions League semi-final. Uh, they were finishing second and third. And they were really pushing under David O'Leary. The fantastic side, brilliant to watch. Rio Ferdinand and Jonathan Woodgate and all these players they bought. And they've been in league, what, out, outside the top division, well, not, what, 12 years? Have only just got back? 13 years? So, again, hence why I go back to that sustainability. If you look at the, the players that are in ink stewardship, the players that we've signed at our football club under various different managers, it's actually beyond belief. I'm going to just read a few out just to re- re- remind people of the players that we've played for this football club. Jermaine Defoe, Keane, Berbatov, Bale, uh, Raphael van der Weyck, Scott Parker, Lloris, Vertonghen, Deli Alley, Eriksson, Dawson, Teddy Sheringham, Carrick, Genus, Tom Huddleston, I've put in there, quality player, Darren Bent, 22 million at the time in 08, David Bentley, the new David Beckham, Modric, a Ballon d'Or winner, Lloris, I've mentioned, a World Cup winning captain, Moussa Dembele, the best player on the planet by all accounts, you know, uh, Son, Toby, Gio, Cessignon, Tungan Dembele, record transfer, Hoiberg, that's a bit unfair, he ain't played really yet. But the point being is the, the, we, we get levelled as a club, but we don't go and spend money, we don't go and get players. Yeah, I've just reeled off, I don't know how many there, I haven't read off any people that have come through the academy, obviously, because we didn't buy them. But them players there, some of them players are utter world-class players, and they might have um, cut their teeth at Tottenham, and then they moved on. And I think the major problem for that is been the wages and you know the amount of revenue that the club brings in ba- based on the amount of wages that we we spend i think um is a, is a big factor i think kieran will go into that a bit more detail but but the point being is that 
if we can conc- uh, increase the revenue commercially, if we can conc- uh, increase the revenue on match days, and ultimately that's what the stadium brings, we can start to then keep our best players by paying them biggest wages. I think we've proved that. I think we've proved over the last four or five years. How many times now have, have we sold our best players? Kane's still playing for us. Delhi's still playing for us. Son's still playing for us. Now, when you look at Chelsea, uh, everyone talks about Chelsea got sugar dad. They sold Eden Hazard last year for 100 million. No one's even talking about that. Liverpool, fantastic. They sold uh, Coutinho. Um, Coutinho for 142 yep. million. They sold Luis Suarez for yep. 55 million or 60 odd million. They sold um, Torres for 50 million a couple of seasons before. Mm. You know, if you look at net spend against, uh, against some other rival clubs, and, and rightly so. You know, yeah, we're we're probably the lowest or the second lowest, but but the reality is that we everybody said at the time five six years ago we've got to stop selling our best players. Did they or did they not? They've got to. Stop. So we did. We stopped. Part of the Daniel Levy um, uh, strategy was to stop selling our best players. Well, we have done that, and 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 now all of a sudden it's you know it's something else. So I think that when you look at trophies and you look at uh, t- Premier League titles or, or first division as it was back then titles. Liverpool hadn't won the Premier League for 30 years or the top division title for 30 years. Chelsea, before the sugar daddy, not haven't won it for 50 years. Yeah. Manchester City, before the oil money come in, hadn't won it for 43 years. Manchester United, the great Manchester United, with more commercial revenue than any other club, went 26 years before the Alex Ferguson era. So Alex Ferguson, sorry. 26 years without winning a title. And Arsenal... Pains me to say it. They're the most consistent, but even they went 19 years, a big stint, and it's actually been 16 years from the last time they won it in the modern era. Tottenham haven't won the top level to title for 59 years, which, yeah, it isn't good enough, and I'm not settling for it. I don't, I want us to win the title, but put it into perspective against what we're going up after. And, and I think, Kieran, you just, you just summed it up perfectly. We're going, we're going up against winning these trophies or winning these, uh, these first division or Premier League titles against clubs that that are far superior to us in terms of match day revenue, commercial revenue and 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 ultimately TV money because because they're playing playing more and they're playing sexier games, they get bigger TV money as well. So, you know, we're fighting against that and I think that when the clubs looked at that as a long-term solution, they knew that to move into the new stadium, they knew that to change that 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 revenue standpoint, that commercial standpoint, that match day revenue as well and and ultimately that's where it's going to um, drive our, our, hopefully, our on-field success. We, we haven't seen that yet, and, and hopefully we will. And I know I'm one of these Spurs fans as well that is fed up with waiting. But, but maybe by waiting that little bit longer, we might get a sustained 10-year period like we did in the 80s where we won, and in the 60s, where we won a lot of trophies and, and, and we were the team to beat. Fingers crossed. Now, Kieran, coming back around you, Spurs announced last September that they had refinanced their stadium loans. They borrowed $637 million from Goldman and Sachs, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch and HSBC for the £1 billion project. And the money was due to be paid by April 22. But through US investors, Levy converted roughly $525 million of that debt into a bond scheme with staggered maturities between 15 and 30 years. Levy announced Spurs' accounts for last season at the start of the coronavirus crisis, which showed total revenues of £460.7 million and robust post-tax profits of £68.6 million. How did you view, Kieran, those accounts from a financial perspective? 
those results, um, they, they reflect that Spurs were in the Champions League final last season. Um, and qualifying for the Champions League is becoming increasingly important to two clubs. And unlike most other big countries in Europe, um, the big clubs are not guaranteed because because it is six into four. You know, we all know that Bayern and Dortmund are going to qualify each year. We all know that PSG are going to qualify each year. We all know that Juventus are going to qualify each year. We all know that Barcelona and Real and Atleti are going to qualify each year. So Spurs, Spurs do have a challenge there. Financially, they were a good set of results. Um, in terms of the debt, I think it was a really smart renegotiation by the club. Uh, they, they never were going to be in a position to be able to repay those loans in 2022. Um, the, the banks were pretty relaxed because they've they've worked out just how much money Spurs are generating per match. So, so it's, it, with hindsight, getting that getting that re uh, revisiting or the, that uh, the the revision of the the loan sorted pre-pandemic was was a very very clever move um, because if you're just paying interest at two and a half percent on loans of six hundred and thirty seven million you, you're paying fifteen million pounds a year in interest now okay fifteen million pounds sounds like a lot of money but compared to the the four hundred and sixty one that Spurs are generating you know they they, they can cover that with ease. So uh, when, when you contrast that to the challenges that Arsenal had when they moved to their new stadium, um, and when you look to see what happened with the Glazers and Manchester United, yeah, Manchester United were paying over £100 million a year in interest uh, in 2006, 2007, around that around about that period. So um, I, I've, I've got, I think you've got to give the club some credit in, in the way that they've dealt with those those monies um sort of looking at spurs overall and, and i did a uh, I, I did i got out a very big spreadsheet a very big calculator and i looked at the total spending by did you get the abacus out as well Q? Well, oh that's right that's right i was i was i was, I was onto fingers and toes Lee. yeah we're, we're talking we're talking big sums here boys big sums, um, big, sums. big sums um spurs total spending on players in terms of both transfers and wages um, since they they started in the Premier League in 1992, um, three is 2.4 billion pounds, and that puts them sixth in the table. And I think you'd probably expect them to be sixth in the table. But the frightening thing is Arsenal are fifth, and uh, Spurs are closer to clubs such as Southampton and Leicester and Sunderland than they are to Arsenal in terms of spending. So that is a scary thought yeah. that in order to get to, and, and I know Spurs, many Spurs things. So hold on, we are at the next level. I think Spurs are not quite at the next level um, financially, and, and there's still a way to go. What the club owners have done is that they have done the groundwork to allow the club to make that progression they are still not ever going to be Manchester United or Liverpool in terms of the ability to sell shirts. And that's reflected in the Nike deal, which is which is a good deal, but it's nothing compared to uh, the, the commissions that, uh, that Liverpool and Manchester United are getting. And, um, you know, we, we've seen Roman Abramovich this summer, because if you look at the transfer market, uh, Liverpool haven't spent a penny, or they they yeah you know, they bought some obscure player for about ten million. Manchester United haven't spent a penny. 
Arsenal have only done free transfers. Uh, if you look at the clubs that were close to Spurs last season, Leicester, they're, they're just getting contract extensions. Wolves aren't spending, uh, you, you know, and Burnley, who are sort of eighth, you know, they're not going to spend money anyway. So it, it is frustrating from a fan's perspective, but Spurs aren't aren't operating in a vacuum. The only people that have spent money have been Chelsea, but Abramovich sold one of his businesses for fifteen hundred million pounds. So you know, spending sixty million pounds on a on a new centre forward is is you know small beer to him. Pocket money, just, isn't it? pocket money, it's pocket crazy. money. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. Okay, sixty million. It'd be a good night out for us three boys, as we know. But um, <laughs> you know, for for Roman, it's uh, it, it's nothing. If if you look at City, City have only spent money since the cast verdict came out because City were genuinely uh, very, very nervous that if if Cass had upheld the UEFA verdict, um, De Bruyne would have left, Sterling would have left, uh, you know, other players would have been considering their, their options and, and City would be down, you know, the, the thick end of £100 million a year through not qualifying for either Europa or Champions League uh, for the next two years. I think we stood to make, or we, we made, like you said, 90 or million or whatever in our Champions League run to the final. What What's that in contrast to, to a Europa League run? Because, you know, there's a lot of, you know, just, just as from fans looking at playing on the pitch, playing on a Thursday night, playing on a Sunday, it's a bit of a ball ache. And, you know, actually, do we really want to be in Europe and so on and so forth? You know, you know let's just concentrate on domestic. But there must be some pretty big financial rewards even even now being in the Europa League I know fans aren't coming back into the stadiums quite yet so that's going to have an impact but is there any sense or have you got any research at all on kind of the comparison between a Champions League run and and the Europa League run in terms of financials sure if we take let's start off with prize money which is effectively broadcasting money um as you said, Spurs made you know ninety million plus um, from getting to the the Champions League final. Liverpool made a wee bit more, and of course they had the the European Super Cup and then the World Club Championship. But some, some, so Liverpool had, a, had a, probably made about one hundred and twenty. But that's from prize money alone. Um, you've then got, of course, gate receipts. Um, so, so we take those into consideration. As far as the Europa League is concerned, um, the prize money is is just over 30 million for getting to the final and winning it. Um, so it's it's not to be sniffed at, but yeah, we are. It's it's between a, a third and a quarter of of the of the uh, of, of the wow, winning in big. terms of Champions League. But you, you you correctly mentioned you know Thursday night, Sunday afternoon, bit of a ball ache. Um, I think the people who've got the hardest job at Spurs are those who, and let, let's just park COVID for a moment. Let, let's just say that we're operating in a in a normal football environment. When Spurs were in the Champions League and they were selling out hospitality packages, what they had to do, the, the hospitality team, they whistled and people were came. You know, people, you know, who are we playing? Yeah, we're playing in the Champions League, especially once they've got knockout stages. The Spurs, t- the Spurs commercial team could effectively name their price uh, for uh, for a for ticket prices and and b for for all of the add-ons. You know, as, as much as we mock the prawn sandwich brigade at football, um, they they bring in uh, for, uh, you know for a, a cup like Spurs, they'll be bringing in fifty percent of the total gate receipt. So they're not to be sniffed at. Um, if you're trying to do that 
for a Thursday night match against Austria's third best team, you got a bit of a struggle, haven't you? So yeah. Yeah. You, you start you start to look at the commercial income, and also from your point of view as fans, um, you know, I, I don't know what Spurs were charging last season for Champions League matches, but Europa League again. Let, let's park COVID. Let, let's pretend. You know, I, I, th- I think Spurs, given that they've got sixty-two thousand tickets to sell, you know, you, you'll be looking at ticket prices here. You know, what you know, ten or fifteen quid perhaps. Um, because you're playing group games and it's it's clean. And, and there's no disrespect to any of these teams. The teams you're playing against are from Belarus. They're from Slovenia. They're from Cyprus. Or, you know, sure. and I, I think it's about 75 quid we were paying, 78 pounds or something like that, a ticket right. for, yep. for a Champions League match. Yep. Uh, yep. And a Europa League match, like you say, you know, you're definitely not going to be knocking them out at 75 quid, are you? That's for sure. I mean, there's going to be at least 50% off of that. Probably even more, like you say, you know. So it, it, when you when you when you talk it through like that, it's a big impact, isn't it? There was a big impact on on where that that potential not 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 necessarily lost, but where where you're not going to now gain. I mean, if you look at an Arsenal uh, football club, for example, is uh, is it the full fee on the trot now that they won't be in the Champions League? That's that's going to have a devastating effect, considering they were they they qualified for it. 22 times or 20 years on the trot under Wenger and, and lots of people said Wenger out and you know he's not, mm. you don't get a trophy for fourth but what you do get is not, you know 60, 70, 80 million rather than you know 10, 15, 20 million and that's huge in football club because like we've been talking about money is you know cash is king in, in the world of football isn't it to be brutally honest about it Spurs last season they made yeah what sixty three million pounds more than than Arsenal. Now you've got roughly the same size stadium, so that's not going to be a huge difference. And in fact, um, if if you take a look at the numbers, Arsenal made more money from match day than Spurs, um, but the the broadcast money on the back of Spurs getting into the Champions League, uh, you know, I've got Spurs here. Uh, how much Spurs 243 Arsenal 183 so that you know there's that 60 million pounds that makes you know a substantial difference and, and it does mean that you can go into the market now I, I think you know I, I've I'm basing this on the comments from my next door neighbor he says we did sign some players last summer we didn't sign particularly successful players but th- there are no guarantees in football if, if you take a club yep. such as Spot. Barcelona yeah Griezmann Best part of 100 billion. Yep. Coutinho, 140 million. Yep. Dembele, uh, 120 million. Yep. Yep. And, and all three are flops. It's crazy, um, isn't it? Yeah. And, and Arsenal's right. big, big signing last season. You know, that that was a, wasn't great either. The, the lad they signed, the winger from, from oh, Pepe. 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 Yeah. Pepe. Yeah. It's and, so fascinating. You know, yeah. and, and there's very strange issues with in relating to that transfer, which which I'll speak to you after the podcast because I don't want to be sued for libel. <laughs> <laughs> it goes back to the the amount of players that I reeled off earlier in the show, you know, that have played for our, our fantastic football club and and we still couldn't get over the line with winning consistent trophies because it is a fine line, isn't it? At elite sport, when we're talking about on the field, you know, there's some decisions, you know, it's a fine line of decisions. Are oh, we a bit cautious? Do we push the boat out? Okay, we're, we're going to go and sign a record signing, Tunga Ndombele. We're going to do it. Let's do it. And 60-odd million, and he's he's been at, 
absolutely useless, hasn't even played, attitude problem, whatever it might be, fitness issues, blah, blah, blah. You know, and like you just said, Kieran, there's no guarantees in football. So you know, for me, that comes down to that recruitment part and, and, and actually choosing wisely the players that we're bringing into the football club and making sure that we've we've got our due diligence on uh, on the people coming into the club and if they're going to fit in what that culture is and what that environment is and you know how how they're going to behave in in the Premier League because I talk about behaviours and culture but that's massively important if you're going to go and settle in some of these lads that we're buying and, and fo- football in general they're young lads they're 21 20 years old 22 years old you know they're moving to a new country for the first time they, they've got to be able to be supported and and and, and felt in that way and you know I think that's I think that's massively important you know just on top of that whole revenue piece let's go and smash 65 million on a player but if he doesn't fit your world or your mold he's not going to work out and you've wasted your money you don't know when you sign it yeah yeah when I think about I was like at 21 I was an idiot <laughs> you know and, and yeah people would say it's probably not a, not a lot's changed <laughs> since but you know you, we, we, we all look back and oh yeah I was a bit of a bit of a goon mm. and you, you, as you say you're moving to a different country you're moving to London as well mm. uh, and London is you, you know you, you you've lived in London you've been brought up in London you don't realize just how hectic mm. uh, the bright lights of that city are and just how many distractions there are I I've spent most of my life living in in Manchester and uh, you know, working in Manchester and Liverpool and um Everybody knows everybody. You can't go anywhere in those cities. So players actually tend to live quite sedate lives because it, it is sort of a big village mentality. In London, you can get very distracted very easily and n- nobody knows what you're up to. We have to go for a very quick break. When we return, we're going to be discussing player recruitment, Daniel Levy in more focus and so much more to come on this very special edition of The Last Word on Spurs. Do not go anywhere. We are back after this very, very short break. Hello and welcome to the second half of The Last Word on Spurs, a special feature show we are bringing you here. As you know, we've had many one-off shows over this last couple of weeks. We've got another top, top guest joining us, Kieran Maguire on The Last Word on Spurs, bringing us some financial insight into Tottenham Hotspur and delighted to have him here. He's from the Price of Football podcast. I say you can check Kieran out at Kieran Maguire. So pleased to be joined by Lee McQueen as well here, of course. Lee, the right-hand man to the last word on Spurs. Lee, just want to ask you about Daniel Levy. I asked you about him before the break, but just looking at his personality and him growing up, he was a Tottenham fan after his great uncle took him to White Hart Lane. He excelled at school before winning a place at Sydney Sussex College, Cambridge, to read economics and land economy. As a student in the early 1980s, he worked exceptionally hard and kept himself to himself. But it was Tottenham, the club Levy grew up supporting, that gave him that route into English football. He'd known that Alan Sugar at the time had grown slightly tiresome of managing the club and Levy bought his stake in 1998. But it was not until December 2000 that a deal was done. Levy, at the age of 38, was on the Tottenham Hotspur board. And along with that, a lot has been mentioned about what does Daniel Levy do outside of Tottenham? What's his interest? Well, Levy enjoys skiing and has a house in the French Alps near Mont Blanc, where he invited Maurizio Pochettino on a holiday previously. You may have seen those images going round. He hates smoking. And when he took over at Tottenham, they became the first ground in the country to ban smoking, even going as far as stopping the club shop from selling club-branded ashtrays. Club-branded ashtrays. So whatever people may make of Daniel Levy, awkward maybe cold, unassuming or reserved. There is no question about 
He wants to make sure he has the best for Tottenham. He lives and breathes the success of the team on the pitch. When Spurs beat Chelsea 2-0 in January 2017, one of the peaks over recent years, he messaged Pochettino late at night to say that he could not sleep with such excitement. And one source said, the thing is, I like Daniel, who frequently has a deal to get with the Tottenham Hotspur chairman. But Daniel between February and June and September to December is a great guy. But Daniel in the transfer window is a completely different human. Lee, we don't get to know much about Levy as a human being. Taking away Enoch for a second, Daniel Levy as a person, what's your thoughts? The narrative that you've just read out there is, is fantastic and, and actually given us some real insights into into Daniel's background. And clearly he's a, he's a Spurs fan through and through. And I think that, you know, um, that, that goes a lot. You know, he's, he's, he's one of our own. He does have the best interest of the club at, at heart, maybe too cautious sometimes. I always go back to the point when we signed... Um, uh, there was a summer, uh, I think Harry was in charge. It was a tra- January transfer window. And uh, in the summer, I think we brought in Scott Parker and Adebayor. And in the January transfer window, I had opportunity to go for the title. Uh, we needed a striker and a defender. And uh, we got a striker and a defender. But it wasn't the striker or the defender that we, we needed and that we, that, and that we wanted. So I think that's the key frustration with that, that cautious side of Daniel. Um, I've been very fortunate enough to work with, with the club in the foundation and, and also uh, in the commercial area, actually, fun, funnily enough. Some of them, um, commercial, the, the commercial team that Kieran referenced earlier, I actually placed um, and put them into the, into the football club. So, uh, and, and as part of my work in and around there, that uh, you know, there was a story saying that Daniel Levy's wife wouldn't allow anybody to wear red at all in Tottenham Hotspur in a Lily White House. And, and I just think things like that, you know, yeah. as a fan, that makes you giggle, doesn't it? Like it you think, yeah. yes, because I hate red. You don't want red because it's Arsenal or whatever. Exactly. And, you yeah. know, that, you know they, they had that kind of that values and that culture piece around, you know, we are Tottenham and we are Lily White. And, I, you know, I, I like that as a fan. I like that sort of stuff. So he does seem like he's got, it doesn't seem he has definitely got the best interests of the club at heart. I look, he earns a lot of money. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And, and, and I'm sure we'll come on to that. And, you know, he's, uh, uh, you know, some would say that he's earned it. He's been there 20 years, you know, very, very young guy. Would you say 38 years old as a, a as a board member of Tottenham Hotspur? Um, uh, and, uh, you know, he's, he's done wonders for the club in, in a sense of where we are financially, as we just talked about, I think the massive frustration with the, with the fans now, uh, and, and has been for a long period of time. And I have to say, I'm still, still part of that. I'm, um, I, I like the club. I like where we are. I'm proud that we, we've done what we've done with the stadium and the training facilities and everything of all, all of like that. You've only got to uh, hear Hoiberg's interview recently, Hoiberg interview, <laughs> Kane in these names, sorry. Um, you know, uh, Pierre, we call him Pierre. Um, you've only got to hear Pierre's uh, interview most recently where he said, you know, I've come into this training ground, I've come to the stadium, I've looked around and I've realised absolutely this is the best place for me to be. And, you know, that's 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 huge compliments to to what Daniel and the board and, and, and the actual football club have done. But we have to follow it up now. Not make not necessarily tomorrow, but we have to follow up now with trophies. You know, two trophies in 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 twenty years isn't good enough, or one trophy in twenty years, and and we need to we need to change that. But look, I've said it before on on previous shows, and I'll say it again. You know, it's the hope that kills you, but it's the hope that keeps you. And I just hope, as a football fan, that we can start getting the success on the pitch. When you look at 
um, Manchester City and and the the takeover that they had. Some people will be jealous about it or envious about it. I, I'm actually not because you look at Manchester City and you see how far down the English pyramid that they fell. You know, uh, you know, League Two or the old Division Three or old Division Four that they were playing in at the time. You know, some would say that they deserved deserved a, a rise back up to the top, and 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 they've, and they've got that with with the new ownership. I think that if you think about a graph from from the time in it, uh, Daniel Levy took over all the way to where we are now, it's a hockey stick. It's a hockey stick in terms of match day revenue. In other words, it's on a curve and it's going up. It's a hockey stick in terms of broadcasting revenue. And some would say, well, that's obvious. But but actually, because of the football we've been playing and because of the, the status of the football club, we get more broadcasting rights and more revenue because we're on the telly more. That's gone up. And our commercial revenues we talked about before, that's also gone up as well. So, you know, we are on an upward trajectory and an upward curve. And we just hope that that can uh, transfer to, the, to the, the field of play over the next kind of two, three seasons or so. While we've got a serial winner, by the way, in Jose Mourinho. Kieran, almost everyone in football has their own story of dealing with Daniel Levy. From the early noble offers, the brickmanship, to the endless renegotiations. Some people in industry have been frustrated so many times that they are now reluctant to even deal with him. So where does this all come from? Why do Tottenham have to fight harder for every deal than their rival club? And I think one of the simple facts are is that this is the most important single detail of the Levy tenure. And it's the way Spurs have operated differently from a lot of their Premier League rivals. No one has ever written them a blank cheque. Unlike Chelsea, Man City, they receive no cash injections from their billionaire owner. Unlike Man United and Liverpool, Spurs do not yet have a huge global brand, which you actually mentioned earlier, to monetise. The club can only spend what it brings in and there is little margin for error. For you, Kieran, give us your view on how you see Spurs and Daniel Levy acting in a transfer window. I think Spurs will do their homework. I mean, I think what Spurs have done is that they've... You mentioned Hjoberg. Um, Spurs have built the infrastructure to make themselves more attractive to players. Um, are they operating in the same market as as the likes of Manchester United, Chelsea and Liverpool? Well, they're not. Um, and I, I've got some figures here. Uh, if you look at Spurs' wage bill between 2010 and 2016, Spurs' wage bill over that period where... You could argue, you know, that Bale had come. Uh, they could have pushed on to a next level, but Spurs' wage bill over that period of six years went up by three percent. I mean, even I got a bigger pay rise over that period. And then you look at their their rivals: um, Manchester United's wage bill up seventy six, Liverpool's up eighty two, Arsenal's up seventy eight, Chelsea's, which was high to begin with, was up twenty eight. Spurs' wage bill went up by three percent, and that meant that you are fishing in a different pool. And, and that was at 2016. Now, things have changed, I think, since 2016 with playing matches at Wembley, with the arrival of the new stadium and so on. But if you can't compete for the true elite players, then you know, that is, is, that, is that an acceptance of where Daniel Levy thinks Spurs' ultimate achievements can be? Or... Is it actually credit to him for saying, well, we are Spurs. You know, historically, we've been sixth in terms of the Premier League, in, in terms of revenue. And, and I'm just trying to build a club which can get a little bit better than that. What's interesting about that, Kieran, as well, is that um, Ar- Arsenal's went up by 78% because they had uh, Ozil. 
<laughs> oh, 250 grand a week. Uh, no, what, what's interesting about that actually is, um, you know, you say that we're in the top six or we're sixth in terms of revenue in the Premier League. Since the Premier League um, started, we're actually fifth in terms of the playing side. So, so the, the you know the, the the revenues and the finances actually match where we finish in the league, if yep. that makes sense, you know, in and around. So we're actually fifth, uh, fifth. Uh, if if you put the Premier League, uh, I think it was over. Uh, I did it over the last twenty years. So uh, under Daniel Levy, I think we finished fifth. So you know, yeah, it is interesting to uh, to hear you say that. Does does Daniel on the board think? Well, you know what we're kind of fifth and you know so when we're going for the title in 2016-17 um and, and ultimately losing you know we're, we're punching above our weight and you know when when we're going up against the Liverpools in the Champions League final we're, we're punching above our weight and you know that's are we trying to change that or, or are we happy or are we happy with that I know the fans aren't happy and the fans really want that to change and I'm one of them as well but but does the does a football club on the board say, do you know what, we're, we're, we're okay, we're good here um, and we'll we take a couple of years in the Europa League and finishing fifth or finishing, you know, sixth or finishing fourth and, and actually we're, we're okay with a couple of years in the Champions League, you know, or do they really have the ambition to go, you know what, we've, we've, we're sustainable now, we've got everywhere we wanted to be, we're commercially viable, four times bigger commercial revenue than we did have 10 years ago We've got the new stadium, right? It's time to take the shackles off, bring some players in, pay some big wages, and you know, because ultimately, Rick, you asked the, the question earlier: How do we get the Ronaldo's? Or how do we get? It's, it's about the wages, isn't it, Kieran? Yeah. Do, do you agree? It's about you know, at the end of the day, that people look. Robinho signed for Man City because he got paid a load of money at the time. You know, Mark Hughes was the manager. It was back in two thousand eight. They hadn't won the title for. Uh, what was it, 40, 43 years, blah, blah, blah. But he signed for them, let's be honest, because of the money, right? You know, the, again, people forget about Manchester City as well. They got the Etihad Stadium, which was built for the Commonwealth Games. So, you know, they 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 almost done a, a West Ham, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I might be completely wrong on that, but I think they've pretty much done a West Ham in terms of buying or, or, uh, or ta- taking it from from not public money, but ultimately buying a stadium that was built on public money. So, you know, they didn't have the massive costs that we just had with regards to that 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 stadium as well. When you when you bring Arsenal into the fold with a stadium, Arsenal built their stadium when in 2006? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, so 2006 to build a stadium versus 2018 to build a stadium is, is very, very different. And now I've heard stories, I don't know if you can substantiate these, but I've heard stories that because of, um, you know, uh, the pandemic and because of, you know, the rates on currency, you know, it, it, cha- it changes how much interest and how much, uh, you know, materials, for example, having to be spent on on, on the stadium itself. So uh, hence why some of them, uh, the cost of the stadium have, have, have seemingly run out of control or they went out of control from from it being a £700 million stadium to £1.2 billion. But, you know, so so costs of change and, and, and standard of living and all that sort of stuff, it's quite complex to, to put all of that together. So I think that, it, it is it is fair for us. We're very supportive of the club, and we and we and we love the the, the football club and how it's run. Personally, I, I do, but it's also fair for us to challenge. Have we got that ambition to to go to the next level? Because I agree with you, Kieran, and what you said earlier. We're not quite there yet. We're getting there, but we're not quite there. But have we got the ambition to really get there? The only way I would answer that from a fan's perspective is: Would Jose Mourinho have joined us? If if we if Daniel leaving the board and the club didn't show that ambition, I mean that's a question only for Jose, I suppose. But I, I can't believe that he would have joined a club that didn't show him that ambition. What, what do you guys think? 
it's one of those, isn't it, with Mourinho, where I've got to say, for me, I think you look at it and he thinks to himself, is he going to get a bigger job than Tottenham at his stage in England? And I think the answer is no. And it's one of those things where I do think it's, at the moment, if things go well, it's a, a marriage where it can benefit both parties mutually. Mourinho gets the chance to in a way, rebuild his reputation to some degree, even though he's won all these trophies. You look at his CV, which is quite phenomenal, but he has the chance to, you know, take a club that haven't won trophies regularly on the last 20 years and go and play some. And that, again, I think reinforces the point of just how good a manager he would be. And it's Tottenham, a club that aren't renowned for winning trophies, spending a lot of money. And that's kind of where I wanted to go next, Kieran, because in terms of incomings, Spurs have started to spend again by 20. 19 with big deals for Tungyon Numbele and Giovanni Lo Celso, bringing a freshness to the squad that had gone stale at the time. But there was still that frustration that they had not gone on to complete a deal for Bruno Fernandes, who at that point wanted to leave Sporting Lisbon for Spurs. Sporting's price was around 70 million euros, and Spurs went close, accordingly went close, offering around 45 million euros with another 20 million add-ons, but ultimately could not get close enough. Do you feel, Kieran, for you that in the last summer and over this last, say, six to 12 months, that Daniel Levy and Spurs in general are starting to loosen those purse strings in terms of the finances? Yes. I mean, again, let's let's just park the pandemic. Um, I think that the the board had dealt with the Wembley issue where where they were uncertain as to the amount of money they were going to generate and, and yeah there was a there was a an element of second season blues at Wembley uh, I think as Spurs fans you know, you know it was noted that the uh, the attendances weren't as great and people were getting in and getting out of Wembley as quickly as they could so therefore uh, you know Spurs are making 800 grand a match from from catering at the new stadium so you know there there were there were some real positives starting to come through the the, the move last season. I, mean, I I'm, I'm a I'm a Brighton fan, so I, I went to Spurs last season at at the new stadium, and and I, I, I because I've seen my team play in all four divisions, I've I've done 117 grounds watching the the the, the, the style of garbage that we tend to produce most of the time, um, and and going to Spurs Stadium <laughs> was the first time. I've ever got to a stadium and my jaw has dropped. It, it, it is a staggering piece of, of engineering and architecture. Um, and, and you've got to give the people a lot of credit there. Um, I, I think the the deals that they've done uh, in terms of, you know, the, the dull business things such as you know, the deals with the NFL and the deals for the, the, uh, the concerts and things of that nature. And the fact that the pitch can be slid in and out, which gives uh, if, if you talk to groundsmen, they hate the summer when when uh, chairman or chief executive say, oh, we, yeah, we've, we've got guns and roses coming. Uh, the, uh, the, the groundsmen burst into tears because they they know that they've they've lost a, you know, a week, a week and a half of uh, time when they'd rather be focusing on the pitch, but Spurs, the Spurs groundsmen don't have to worry about that. So I think they, they, the board have realised that they had got their ducks in the right row. They'd done their projections for for the 2019-20 season, and, and things were looking very good for Spurs, which, which allowed them to to sign the likes of Ndombele and so um, and and to loosen the purse strings. Um, I can understand their caution in the two or three previous years because they weren't certain whether the the uh, the stadium was going to open 
for the for the in theory for the whole of 2019-20 there were still there were still issues as I'm sure you're much closer to those than I am um but yeah it, it was uh it, it was it was an opportunity now we've done all the hard work now we've sort of made the sacrifices we can now start perhaps not to to compete with Chelsea and Manchester City in terms of sugar daddy ownership um and I know you probably won't like this but we're now in a position where where we're better off than Arsenal and we can we can start to to reinforce that particular gap and to to knock them off their perch uh, in terms of uh, you know the, the the competition that you have with them at each season so that had been a positive uh, but it's you know the the arrival of covid has messed everything up we're going to come on to COVID, I promise you, in a couple of minutes. But, Lee, I just want to come round to you because whatever else Levy achieves at Spurs, whether it is one of his teams eventually going on to win a Premier League or the Champions League, he will always be associated with bringing that new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium to Tottenham because the house that Levy built, the very fact that stadium exists, is more or less on the site of the old ground. It's a triumph of his ambition and his drive, and it can be reasonably claimed to be the best stadium in the country. And without the coronavirus pandemic, it would already be generating money for the club. But there was never any limit to leave his ambitions to deliver that. He said our vision was to create the best stadium in the world to watch sporting. It was as simple as that. The entire design, right down to the smallest details, was shaped in the pursuit of that goal from the very start of the project. Daniel was obsessed with the idea of creating an incredible atmosphere. The stadium had to be noisier, more intense, more electric than any other in the world. For you, Lee, how important, in your opinion, will that stadium become in the future for Spurs once we get over COVID and once we do have events and, of course, amongst so many games there? Well, if anyone was at the Newcastle at home match at the beginning of the season, it weren't very loud other than the moans and groans. Um, so we could definitely hear all them uh, for, for sure after that the one nil defeat. But I think it will be, I mean, all jokes aside, I think it will be really, really important, not just from a financial standpoint, like we've been talking about today, but also from look, to, to hear Kieran. Now, by the way, my, my sister's a season ticket holder at Brighton, so uh, we're in good company there. Um, but, you know, just to hear Kieran say, you know, that he walked into the stadium and his jaw dropped to the floor. Look, I don't buy my season ticket and watch football uh, Tottenham every week to to uh, just because we've got a lovely stadium. Like that's not a trophy. I, I understand that, but it's also it's also a part of being of that of that club that is proud. I'm proud that we've got the best stadium in the world. I am proud of that. You know, maybe if we had five Premier League uh, titles under our belt. And you know, four FA Cups or whatever in, in in recent times. Maybe maybe I wouldn't care what what stadium we're in. But so maybe I'm clutching at straws. But the reality is that we are winning in in certain areas. Um, that it's not just on the field right now. But I do think that that would be really important. Um, only because that you know it's. It's players coming in. If, if Kieran's jaws dropping to the floor, players are going to do that. You know, it's a big, big pull. We probably need that now. We're not in the Champions League to still sign a couple of the, you know, the, the left back, the right back and the striker that I keep banging on about and the other pods that we need to sign. So I think that they will be, it will be important. And I do think that, you know, when, even when you look at 17, 18 season, 18, 19 season, that the match day revenue is ridiculous. It went from 52 grand in 16, 17, which is our last 
year, uh, sorry, 52 million, um, uh, uh, our uh, um, last uh, year in Tottenham, uh, sorry, Wyatt Lane, um, to 85 and 92 respectively. Um, you know, and that, that was uh, primarily at Wembley and then moving into a new stadium. So, you know, there's no doubt we're going to get huge amounts of revenue coming from that when, that when that place is packed out again. But it won't be packed out if we're playing... Europa League football against Dynamo Donuts and, you know, finishing 10th in the league, will it? You know, that that's the reality. So you, it, it has to be a balance. And at some stage, the, the, the shackles need to come off. And I, and I do agree with Kieran. I do agree with you, Rick. I, I do think the shackles have started to come off. When you look at the players that we signed in the summer and also what we've done in January as well, I think combined it's about 180 million. You know that that's you know that's in contrast to to, to before we, we wasn't we wasn't spending that money and all them names that I rolled off earlier them transfers that we bought into the club they were caveated with players that were leaving the club so you know our net spend each season was relatively low well actually now you can start to see our net spend being a you know that little bit higher and continuing to be higher because we're not selling our best players as as a point that we made earlier well Spurs wage bill has increased by eighty percent in the last three years so that's that is indicative, you know, therefore exactly. the club is clearly has made that stage to the decision to invest. Um, if, if, let me bounce a question back to you. Do you think Spurs would be have been challenging for the Premier League title and having the potential to get into the final stages of the, the Champions League over the course of the next decade if they were still at the old stadium? It's a good question. I mean, the only thing I would say is that, listen, on in that season with Pochettino where we were right there, Bang, challenging. I think, again, it, for me, it comes down to recruitment more than anything else. It's about signing the right players. And I know we've spoken about this so much on the pod in terms of, you know, if we get the right players. I mean, look at Liverpool, for example. I know, obviously, they've been able to build upon Anfield. But for them, it's just been right players at the right time, strategic recruitment that has got them to where they wanted to be. And, of course, in football, you're always in a bit of luck. I think the element of luck in football is downplayed so much that... Players that you sign, you need them to become good. Sometimes you get a bit of luck along the way. You know, signs that Liverpool have players. I look at someone like Mane, Firmino. The way these guys have taken to the Premier League in general. I know, obviously, Mane played for Southampton. But you can have a bit of luck with players. I mean, Liverpool, their recruitment has been spot on. But you do feel that in time, that stadium Spurs have got it. It has to has to attract some of the best players in the world. But I think planning the Champions League is equally just as important as that. And I think that is so, so key. Now, I know we've got a lot to fit in, and I have to come back around to you, Kieran, and ask you that Spurs, we borrowed £175 million from the Bank of England to help them through the next year or so as they respond to the financial destruction of COVID-19, which, to be fair, I know we've parked up until now, but the club do feel that they may lose even more money, up to potentially £200 million of revenue in the period from the start of the lockdown to June 2021. And that includes broadcast rates. They've sought help from the government's COVID corporate financial facility lending scheme, which has provided them with an unsecured loan. It is repayable in full next April at a rate of 0.5%, which is the lowest in terms of commercial terms. Although Spurs could withdraw it for another year. What did you make of Daniel taking that loan out? And is that again, Daniel being smart, because of the nature of how he could acquire that loan? It, it was the right decision at the right time at the right rate. So, um, you know, I think Spurs have been probably more unlucky than any other club in, in sort of in, in the Premier League in terms of the impact of the pandemic, because this summer, what, and, and I think this season, what was really going to be a golden year for them. 
Um, you know, they, clearly they didn't make as much progress in Europe as they would have liked, but it would have given the club an opportunity to see just how much non-football income they they can generate. Football is a really dumb business in in many respects. If you if you look at a Premier League football club, even one that is qualifying for the Champions League, realistically, it, it's open you know, 25, 26 times a year. Um, you know, my local branch of Tesco's is open 364. So what what I think Spurs have done is, is that they'd made the stadium into a, a product which um, this is a horrible middle management phrase where they could really sweat those assets um, and, and make it a very, luc- a very lucrative place in, in terms of uh, conferencing, banqueting, uh, hosting, hosting events and so on. Um, and I think this would have been a fantastic year had it not been for the pandemic. Uh, and therefore, they have actually been hit quite badly because they had so many events being planned. So the decision to borrow the money, um, I, I, I fully understand. Uh, and, and remember, you know, that they, they, they have made mistakes. Um, you know, the, the furloughing of staff, I think, you know, from a fan's perspective, it allowed other clubs to take the moral high ground uh, against Spurs and, and the club listened and it reversed that. Uh, but the loan was was uh, was a smart piece of operation. Lee, coming round to you, Spurs, as a lot of clubs, have been badly hit by the pandemic because they had banked on that revenue, you know, streams for fans attending events at their stadium, and not only football events. You know, they have had to cancel a rugby union game between Saracens and Harlequins, Anthony Joshua's world title fights against Kubrat Pulev, two NFL fixtures and England v Australia in the rugby league. Concerts from Guns N' Roses, Lady Gaga and the Capital Radio Summertime Ball have also gone. Though the coronavirus pandemic, you know, the stadium has served as a food hub for local people. It's operated a coronavirus testing centre where people were able to actually drive into the basement for the test. And it's also provided maternity services for the North Middlesex Hospital, hosting more than 40,000 appointments. The stadium was not shut for a single day during the 15-week break between Spurs' games against Norwich City in March and then to Manchester United in June. Previous rebuilds, Lee, have almost been bankrupted. What do you think, Lee, for Tottenham? Will this, in a way, in time, given the stadium, will it transform the club in terms of what Kieran says, what they can do on the pitch? Will it lead to the titles that we are craving? I hope so. It's a hope that keeps you. It's a hope that kills you. Um, but I do, I do hope so. I mean, I think they've done a fantastic job in um, in keeping the stadium open for the food banks and obviously for the maternity wing, the North Middlesex Hospital, um, and, and really, you know, that that community side of of the stadium still trying to to use it in that way. Um, I, there's no doubt all of the things you've just talked about and Kieran's just talked passionately about, uh, you know, is is, is going to hurt us. You know, that's that's revenue streams that you know you sit in front of, uh, you know your strategic business planning a uh, board level or whatever for the year ahead or to three years ahead and your 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 plan out right this is the revenue that we've got coming in and this is essentially what we're going to spend you know it's at, at the most basic level which is your little piggy bank isn't it you know how much money you got in your piggy bank and how much do you want to spend how much do you want to save and you know that they would have done that and then all of a sudden lady gaga goes and guns and roses go and you know that all the rugby matches go and all, you know, all of a sudden you're thinking wow you remember all that revenue you think we're coming in it's not coming in anymore so you've got to make an adjustment and, you know, look at it in a mature way. You've got to make an adjustment. You can't just go out and spaff a load of money on different players when you haven't got the revenue coming in anymore. And, and as Kieran rightly said earlier, we haven't got a sugar daddy in charge of us. We, we have to run our football club as a sustainable business and a sustainable club. So you have to spend what we've got. And I think that 
when we get back to normal, so part COVID again, and when we get back to normal with the with the uh, match day revenues coming through the door and all of them other bits in the close season coming through and the Joshua fights coming back on there, that that's going to help us financially for sure. And you know, it, again, comes back down to recruitment as you talked about before and, and wages. And if you, if you go and sign a I don't know. Say you go and sign a what would be you know a Gabala, right? That we was linked with last year, and and he wants three hundred grand a week, and and you know he's got all these commercial things going on. But say he wants three hundred grand a week, but we sign him, right? You know the transfer fee is not the problem, but it's the wages, right? Most of the time, so we sign him on three hundred grand a week. Bang, you got a knock on your door. Hello, yeah. Oh, hi, Mister Kane. How you getting on? Right, Gabala's <laughs> just signed. Right, I'm on two hundred grand a week, but he's on three hundred grand a week, so I want a piece of that. Mm. Oh, hello there, Son's there. Hang on a minute. He's just got 300 grand a week. I want 250 grand a week. Eric Dyer's knocking on the door. How big is Cooley? Exactly. Exactly the point, right? Everybody's coming in. So your yeah. wage bill mm. doesn't go from, you know, from oh, the highest paid player at Tottenham at the moment is 200 grand a week, but we've just signed one plan for 300, so it's 100 grand a week more. It doesn't yeah. work like that. No. What it works like is you've got a structure, haven't you, to, to run a sustainable business or sustainable football club, but also to keep other people happy. The, the amount of unrest that Arsenal must have had with re- the likes of, Meza Urza on 350 grand a week and doing nothing. Where's Aaron Ramsey, by the way? Where'd he go? Oh, he went on a free. Why? Because the club wouldn't offer him 350 grand a week Mm. because his mate Urza's sitting in the stands playing PlayStation on 350 (laughs) grand a week. And and actually, uh, Ramsey's doing brilliantly, but he's only being offered a new contract at 200. So Ramsey's got, hang on a minute, I'll go on a free and I'll go to to Juventus on 300 grand a week. Mm. This is the thing. Like, when you think about it in that way, you put yourself, and God, God forbid I ever become the chairman of Tottenham, that is ever going to happen. But, you know, if you put yourself in the chairman's shoes or in the club's shoes, you know, or, or the listeners out there, if you're running businesses or, you know, you're, you're working at, uh, uh, you know, a, a level where you've got budgetary control, this is exactly how you think. You think in that way because you've got people that you need to keep happy. And you, you can't just justify, Rick, I'm going to give you a pay rise, mate, right? All of a sudden, I'm going to give you a 25% pay rise. But Kieran, do you know what? I, you know, I know you do the same job, but I'm not giving you anything. What are you going to do? You, mm-hmm. you know, you're not, Kieran's going to say, oh, yeah, thanks. Yeah, I'll stick around. Of course not. You're off. You're, you're going home to your, your, your partner or your wife or whatever. And you're going, mate, I've been treated like right nightmare. I'm, I'm off. I'm going to start looking for a new role. That, that's just life. That's just how things work. So, you know, the wages scheme, the wages piece, and, and I think Kieran nailed it earlier, in 26, it's gone up in the last four years by 80%. So that clearly shows the club have moved against their revenues. They've moved to a next model up, which is now we're going to pay higher wages. We're going to keep our players and not sell them anymore. And then naturally, the next move from that is to start buying players that are on bigger wages. And I think... If I'm right in saying, Rick, that with Tungon Dembele, for example, he's on 200 grand a week, yes. and we yeah. wouldn't sign that type of player a season ago. And to answer your question earlier, Kieran, we wouldn't have signed that type of player when we was at White Hart Lane because everyone was on, you know, less than 120 grand a week. So yeah. the, that 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 particular transfer was impossible before Wembley, before the new stadium, before we could afford to raise everybody else's wages up by 20 30 40 percent or indeed 80 percent as as the stat suggests yep i know we're pushed for time got a couple more questions to ask you kieran in what's been a real fascinating show for us here on the last one on spurs really tucking into the finances in terms of how it's affected tottenham i think one of the things that you mentioned earlier kieran that we want to go back to is the government's furlough scheme because spurs 
reversed their decision to use the government's furlough scheme for some non-playing staff during the coronavirus crisis following criticism from supporters and also the trust. You know, I have the trust in here quite a lot. They were very, very, you know, very much kind of outraged by the fact that the club would look to try and use that scheme to furlough some of the staff. Now, on the 31st of March, the club announced 550 employees would take a 20% pay cut in an attempt to protect jobs. But that later reversed the decision. A Spurs statement said that non-playing staff will receive 100% of their pay for both April and May. Only board members will take salary reductions. And that includes Daniel Levy, who earned a reported £7 million last year. And again, I think during this time, which was even more frustrating, is Spurs had to announce their accounts for the year. And what was in there was Daniel Levy had paid himself a reported £2 million pandemic bonus for his work during the coronavirus emergency and that did little really to quell over the anger towards Spurs' board and the chairman. I just wonder from again an outside perspective Kieran how did you feel Spurs handled the the pandemic and making that decision? Could it have been done with a lot more class and a lot more what I say dignity? Well I, I think we hold football clubs to a higher standard of moral and ethical behaviour than any organisation that we come into contact with. If it had been my local airline, if it had been my local garage, if it had been my local supermarket and they'd all done furlough, I'd have said, yeah, but yeah, makes no makes sense. Um, for football clubs, we, we, we do think that they should behave in a better way. And I've never, never quite understood why, but I think Spurs had a bit of a, a tin ear, as did Liverpool. Uh, you know, I, I work at the University of Liverpool. I, t- I teach there and I share an office with uh, a season ticket holder at Anfield. And he came in or he, he, he WhatsApped me the day after that Liverpool announced the furloughs game. And he was absolutely livid um, because you want to think that your club is better than that. Um, Spurs made a, a clumsy decision and they made the right decision to reverse it. Uh, as as for Daniel Levy's bonus over the the course of the pandemic, frankly, I, I don't know, and I don't particularly care if if he has if he if he has negotiated commercial deals on behalf of Spurs and Spurs are better off financially, then good luck to him. You know, it, it happens in all other lines of business that you've got chief executives that that uh, are set targets by the rest of the board, and when they achieve them, they often get bonuses. I I, I don't have an issue. With, with Daniel's pay, yes, he has been the the highest paid uh, director in football, and, and and it was seven million in the accounts in in 2019. It was it was six million in 2017. So yes, he he is well rewarded, but uh, if he's on seven million pounds, he's probably you know the 14th highest paid player, sorry, highest paid person at the club. Now that's on un- that's very unusual for a chief executive. So I I, I don't have a huge issue with that. Lee, coming round to you, there is no question, I think, that Levy's financial management at Tottenham has been exceptional. You know, we talk about maybe the the on-field, that's definitely questionable. But the off-field, I think you have to say that he has grown the club and built a world-class training ground into the stadium without needing Lewis to inject real money into it. Now, this is a, let's be honest about it, it's an owner that in Joe Lewis is not one to really inject cash in personally. That just isn't the way he does things. But um, from the case that, look, all this was being built with a long-term goal in mind, Tottenham Hotspur, one day you feel, will be put up for sale. Levy just does not want to set up and go skiing either. So according to multiple sources, in the event of a sale or an investment, Levy does actually want to stay on and continue to run the club in a CEO kind of role. 
as a way to make sure that the change in ownership did not affect the way the club was run and a way to secure his legacy. How do you feel, Lee, for you, Enoch, Levy, that future looks next two, three years? What, what can you see changing? What can you see evolving? Would you like to see Daniel Levy remain part of the club? Should there be a change of ownership? I can't answer that that last question because I don't think there'll be a change of ownership. I can't see. I mean, Kieran, you're you're probably better placed to to put some facts around this than me. But I can't see how we're going to sell the football club in the next couple of years. You know, somebody's got to come in. As Jason, uh, you know, one of our own on on the pod always said for, for years, someone's got to come in with three billion, aren't they? You know, you've got a billion pound or whatever on the stadium. You've got, you know, you've got all of the the squad that we've got now that will probably be worth, I don't know, 800 million or 900 million or whatever you can do to tighten up process. And then you, you've obviously got the profit that you would want to sell the cl- club at as well. So, you know, I, I, I don't I haven't done the finances on, on selling that club, but you would definitely need somebody to come in. Like, OK, worst case scenario, two billion. Uh, who's got two billion to come in and, and run that if it's going to be, you know, and then expect to pump in the level of money that like a Man City's pumped in, which would be what off the top of my head, another 800 million. You know, when, you know, when Ma- Manchester United, when, when Jose, ironically Jose, when Jose got the job at United, they hadn't won the title for uh, best part of what, five years or something like that. I think he spent something like 450 million. You know, so, so you're expecting somebody to come in and buy the club's debt Right, essentially, from through the banks, you're accepting somebody to come and take over the football club, you know, with with all the assets in it, um, stadium, whatever, and then you're also expecting that person to pump in x amount of millions, hundreds of millions of pounds. So, I, I can't see how how that club would would be sold. Um, I might be I might be naive there, but you know, maybe there's a um, you know a, a multi billionaire American sugar daddy that might come in because of the NFL and because of that you know that connection there. Um, you know, even you look at Liverpool and, uh, you know, they're they're run by Fenway Sports Group, which isn't just one sugar daddy, is it? It's a sports group that run, run uh, multiple uh, uh, sports, uh, elite sports teams. So uh, I'm not sure on that. I think that how it will pan out over the next couple of years or so, and this is my expectation as well as hope as well. Um, I think that if the if COVID hadn't hit, I think we'd have seen this probably from this season moving forward. I think it might have delayed us maybe 18 months or so because of that cautiousness of Daniel. But I do think now that the shackles are off, I think Kieran's just said it with the stats about, about the wages rising by 80%. I think we're starting to build the squad in the way that Jose wants uh, and to get more players in. I do expect to see two or three more signings hit uh, before the start of the season. And and that again, that shows that the shackles are off a little bit. So I do see us winning trophies and silverware um, in, in the next couple of years. And I, and I think that will be a real, a good another step forward for us to sustain a, a sustained period of success for the next kind of five, 10 years. And Kieran, really the same kind of question to you, the final question of what's been a fantastic insight into Spurs' finances here on the last one on Spurs. An absolute pleasure to have you. Tell us, it's a new stadium, it's a new training ground. Is this geared up, Kieran, to look to try and make it attractive for a future buyer? What do you think the future holds for the club, regardless of whoever the owners are at Tottenham? Tell us what you think the future holds for Tottenham. I think Spurs are a very attractive proposition to a potential owner. Um, we are talking somewhere in the two to two and a half billion pound uh, arena. There are plenty of people that uh, that can afford that. Uh, you know, 
so I, the the price won't be uh, won't be a problem. Uh, there are pluses in the sense that the stadium is, as you say, it's world leader. Um, there's a plus in that Spurs are in London, and London is very attractive. Uh, I think people underestimate just how attractive London is to to overseas investors. Uh, but you know, if if you're an American owner, you could you can fly. Yeah, you you can fly into Heathrow. Um, you can you can come along to the match. You can entertain your your family and friends and all the bigwigs you want to impress. That um, so uh, Spurs are I think will be very attractive in that way. Um, I th- I think Daniel Levy has got to be given a lot of credit for that. I can understand the frustration of fans. Um, if if he wants to remain as the person running the club on a day to day basis. I think that could be a bit of a fly in the ointment uh, in the sense that if, I, if I've just gone and spent two and a half billion pounds on something, I want to run it how I want to run it. I don't want necessarily a, a legacy guy uh, do, do, doing doing the, the day-to-day activities. But apart from that, I, I think Spurs have set themselves up to be competitive. Now, that's not the same as winning trophies, but You've you've got to have the infrastructure there to be in a position where you can compete. And I know people will say, well, hold on, yeah, Leicester City 2016. Leicester City was a one-off. It, it was it, it was a squad which didn't get injured, which made some fantastic signings. And remember, six months after winning the Premier League, they sacked their manager. Kieran, I've got to say, it's been an absolute pleasure having you here on the last word on Spurs. I mean, Lee, I'm sure you echo the thoughts. It's been some great insight there from Kieran into the finances behind Tottenham and potentially what the future holds. No, fantastic. Really enjoyed it, Kieran. Thanks ever so much for for coming on and sharing them insights into uh, what is the complex world of football finance. So, yeah, really enjoyed it. Kieran, thank you very much for the invite, guys. Oh, it's been our pleasure. Kieran, tell us where can we find your content? Tell us where our listeners, because you don't only do, like I say, say you've come and done Spurs for us very kindly, but you do do this, like I say, generally, football, talking finances. Where can our listeners and where can other people find your wonderful content you provide? Um, Well, I I do a podcast with uh, stand-up comedian Kevin Day twice a week. That's called The Price of Football, which concentrates on doesn't matter where you are. We had somebody from Clapton on last week, and uh, this week we're hoping to get somebody from uh, a government minister on to, to talk about the, the impact of football on on us as fans and, and how important it is. Uh, I'm at Kieran Maguire on, on Twitter, and all I do, I, I'm just obsessed with spreadsheets, and I, I just put out financial data about football clubs. Some of it's complete garbage, and some of it people get quite worked up about. Kieran. It's been Love it. an absolute pleasure having you on the last word on Spurs. Thank you so much for the insight. Listen, guys, there you go. Finances behind Spurs. You've heard it there from a man himself that loves the finances. And Lee McQueen with his little blue book as well, studying, researching on Tottenham. We'll be back very soon. Keep the faith. And as always, count on you, Spurs. You said that people have perceptions of you. What do they say? The guy never smiles. The guy is ruthless. And what's the truth? The truth is that there is some truth on it. <laughs> Nothing can replace a feeling of playing football at this level. The team is the engine of the club. We've got an amazing squad here. Oh, leave it out. <laughs> it's only the second time that I get a job mid-season. We've never seen so much coverage. Twitter, Instagram. If you make a lot of noise, I give one more day off. 
what happened to us this season is impossible. Another injury is the last thing Spurs need right now. How can we do that? Tottenham are out. We are on shutdown. Coronavirus has led to the cancellation of all football. Well, the team are good guys. But good guys, they never win. Play aggressive. How is that right? Play, please. And believe that you can win. Courage. Honesty. Friendship. That's the most important thing in life and in football. Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.